0: Welcome to NBC Sports Philadelphia's Special Producers Podcast. My name is Jeff Halleckman. I'm the senior producer of Phillies Baseball. Myself and my guests are going to give you a look from the other side of your Phillies, your Sixers, and your Flyers broadcasts that you enjoy watching. We're going to discuss the return of sports, and we're going to discuss some of the longest games that we've been involved with. A little background info first, uh, this is my 15th year as a Phillies game producer, my 23rd year overall at NBC Sports Philadelphia. I'm a proud graduate of Bucks County Community College and Kutztown University with a degree in communications. But before I got into baseball and my life became baseball, I was an intern at Prism Sports and worked daily with the Flyers and the Sixers broadcast before I ever touched on baseball, which brings me to my very special friends and very special guests joining me today, Brian Cooper, who's in his 30th season of producing Flyers hockey. I believe, Brian, a graduate of Wisconsin University and a hockey player at Wisconsin University, also with a degree in communications. Correct. Uh, is that true, Brian? That a uh, little hockey? Yes. Uh, pass? Yeah, I,
1: I, yeah. I had, a, I had a cup of coffee until I realized, since I was not on a scholarship, I had no shot. So that was D one D one hockey. It was uh, a quick exit. But the good thing was, then I was able to then pick up a camera and actually shoot the game. So that was
0: that was fun. Well, Brian has done more than just Flyers hockey. Leading up to his thirty years, he, he was an intern with NBC back in 1974. I believe he was still in high school at that time. I don't know if that would go real well these days. <laughs> but he was then, and he moved on to produce the NBA, IndyCar, NASCAR, golf. And now he can't get away from the ice except for right now where he hasn't been able to get back to the ice. Also joining us is J.R. Aguila, another colleague of ours who's a producer of 76ers Basketball. Also a very proud graduate of Kutztown University, a few years earlier than myself, but also a graduate. Uh, Jr. began working at Prism Sports here in Philadelphia and has been a part of the 76ers broadcast for, I believe, Jr. since 1982. Is that correct? Uh, That is, Jeff.
2: I was fortunate to start as an intern. It was the uh, last season, actually, that the 76ers won an NBA title. And uh, for some reason, I thought every year was going to be like that. Moses Malone had just joined the team. They had Julius Irving, Bobby Jones, uh, Maurice Cheeks, and Andrew Tony. And I just thought it was going to be like that every year. And you find out pretty quickly how difficult it is to win a title in a major uh, professional sports league.
0: We've received good news this week and in the past week and a half that all three of our uh, sports are going to be trying to make a comeback and a restart, or a start as in uh, baseball's case. Um, all of the Phillies, Sixers, and Flyers games, as I've been asked a million times over the last week, will be on NBC Sports Philadelphia, on the My Teams app, or some NBC Sports platform. You will see all the games. They will be, they will be available. Uh, for Phillies, it's hard for me to tell you what I think our season's going to be like because we haven't really seen our team play yet. We've seen some spring training, but I don't think we can base it on that. We, I know we have a lot of guys that were injured coming into the season that we weren't sure we were going to see in April or mid-May or early June. But a lot of those guys are healed now. And the team has some veteran presence. And I know they have a good personality. So I think it's going to be an exciting season for the Phillies. Uh, and then we'll we'll see, you know, what they look like because we haven't really got a glance yet. But, uh, J.R., uh, the team's going to be in Orlando. They're going to be restarting. Uh, should we keep our calendars open for the NBA finals
2: i I, I think you should uh, there's there's a number of scenarios in play here you know they, they, you know they were the first to kind of come up coin this term I guess uh, amongst our teams uh, the bubble concept and uh, the NBA to their credit really has set up quite a substantive model for these uh, for everybody involved it 's not just the players obviously coaches and all the staff uh, that are there. But I think that the team itself, um, uh, you mentioned uh, just moments ago about uh, injuries. You know, a key injury for the Sixers was uh, Ben Simmons and uh, really hoping that his back is feeling a lot better. And I know they're making significant progress with that, and Ben does feel a lot better. Um, There are some uh, rotation questions that need to come up now, and Brett Brown has been fielding them uh, every day who he's going to play because some some, uh, player moves have been made. How do you best work in uh, all of these new players that were, A, acquired at the trading deadline? And just before uh, the team actually went down to this bubble, they picked up a player, Ryan Brokoff. Where does he fit in? Uh, again, to be determined. But um, I, I think that there's a good possibility that the, that the favorites, uh, as they're deemed by most folks, can kind of work their way through the playoffs. But I got to tell you, I think everybody uh, – I, I'll, I'll say everybody in our market uh, would be very interested to think that I, I think the Sixers have a legitimate chance to, to compete uh, for the NBA finals. They do, they do. They've got everybody, my colleagues around the, uh, the NBA and uh, just, you know, others that I talk to in various sports leagues say that uh, they've just got an incredible amount of talent. The uh, hope, you know, injuries is a key thing, as we all know that from the past few seasons dealing with, uh, with, uh, ben with this most recent injury, but Joel and his uh, uh, injuries recently, uh, both, they are top-tier players. They are going to be all-stars for the rest of their careers in this league. And in the NBA, uh, that, make, that counts, and that makes a big difference. And having the likes of a Tobias Harris uh, in there, not only as a, a great shooter, great offensive player, but a team leader. Um, and he's been stepping up um, on other platforms other than what's going to occur on the floor.
0: Now I'm excited, Jared. You you sold me. I'm like now I have to keep my calendar open. Although we'll be doing Philly's baseball, but I'll still be able to watch. Uh, <laughs> Brian, no one watches more hockey than you, and I feel like with hockey play with the hockey with the round robin and with the postseason, I feel like they're lining everybody up at the red line, putting the puck on the ice, and yelling like go. Like I feel like it's just going to be a sprint, and like I think it's going to be awesome this format. Uh, What is your feeling going back into the restart?
1: Well, uh, to anybody that that follows hockey, the Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, to me, are are just the best tournament in all of sports just because it it is so intense. Um, But normally, it's very often, it's the teams that are the healthiest when they hit the playoffs. And because you'd have all teams that have injuries, guys get nicked up, guys get hurt, you know, that somebody gets sick. That's not the case, other than potentially COVID, and that's the great unknown. Uh, But my goodness, so many teams are completely healthy, and that it just has not happened. So you're, you got everybody. Hypothetically, coming in with their A game, with their A team, with the their top twenty guys that they would want to put on the ice. So, I think it's going to be incredibly exciting. It is definitely going to be a sprint. Uh, you cannot think you're going to drop a, two or three games here or there. Uh, first of all, the series will be over quickly. But Flyers, in particular guys that they thought were not, you know, going to be part of the playoffs, JBR, uh, Thompson, some of the guys that were dinged up, banged up a little bit uh, that, that, you know, things that were going to be taken care of in the off season were able to be taken care of. I mean, he reading today about how Shane Gossespierre had knee surgery seven weeks ago and he's ready to go. So things like that I think you're gonna be fascinating to see these fully healthy teams enter the playoffs. I think it's gonna be great great theater
0: and and I agree and and with both of you, I think uh health is gonna be a huge issue, and I think there's obstacles that these teams have not realized what's gonna happen that will that will pop up that in this different format and this short sprint of a season for both of them uh that also will happen with the television broadcast, and from a side that we see all the time. Um, what are Brian, what are some of the obstacles that you're looking at? And I know baseball's a little different, so I'll let you guys give your uh, impression of what's happening first. For those who don't work in our industry, uh, what what challenges are you up against to start uh, with the hockey, with everybody being in a bubble?
1: Well, the, the biggest thing is that the, we would normally either – have a game in our arena or we would go to toronto the hub city and we would do the game in a truck like you guys would now the teams go to toronto east and then out west in edmonton and there is a production group that will create a world feed which will send us a feed which will have just natural sound and we can talk about that in a second but essentially just cut the hockey game and send it to us with no graphics, and we would put in the graphics that make it look like Philadelphia and all of our sponsorships, and then and then we would add to it what we call enhancements, whether it be you know our check of the game or our you know uh, player of the game or whatever whatever it may be. Um, and and I think that what I've learned over the years, the bottom line is it's the it's the old television adage of keep it simple, stupid, and just take what you're given and comment on it and be exciting, get excited and be able to embellish the great parts of the game and try to just move on from the hiccups. And there are gonna be plenty of those. Uh, So we just, we will try to put together and put the best product on the air that is a flyer show. Uh, and I think, you know, with Jim Jackson and Bill Clement and Taryn Hatcher, uh, I, I'm looking forward. It's gonna be a great show.
0: And JR, I know uh, basketball is in a very similar situation, although they're all in one spot instead of two different spots. Um, what, what do you see, like Brian mentioned, with the broadcasters, how do you see that as being an obstacle for them let alone just us in the production truck. What do you think the hardest thing for the broadcasters is going to be? Well,
2: uh, the fact, and Brian alluded to this just moments ago, the fact that we're going to be here. So they're not going to have the the sense of the atmosphere. Our jobs are principally, uh, principally to uh, chronicle the event that's going on in either a baseball stadium or an arena of some sort. And uh, with the announcers not there, how do they – Become engaged. Now we've got extraordinary talent to be able to do that. Uh, Brian referenced his his hockey uh, team. Um, Mark, Ala, and Serena will do the same for us. Um, the the key for them is to be able to see as best as we can present to them what's going on, not only uh, on the you know uh, ninety. Uh, four four foot surface that the players are playing on, but everything that's going on around it. So they can kind of get a sense of what um, a game is like in a bubble. Um, You know, whether it's what we feed to them in their headsets so they can hear what's actually going on there. Uh, Certainly their ability to hear each other. Half of what we do is heard. Half of what we do is seen. So we need to find a a proper blend there to kind of make it work for the viewers at home. But that needs to work for our broadcasters as well. So they need to see in as clear uh, a vision as they can what's going on there. High def monitors. We've got the luxury in our technical setups if we go down that road uh, in this conversation in the future to be able to feed them as as good of pictures as can be seen because they're going to be principally calling games off a monitor now folks have been doing that for quite some time on a lot of other different networks and i think we all understand that and i think the public realizes that so there will there be some challenges for the announcers yeah what happens off the floor or on the back side of a play when your primary coverage camera might be staying with the ball or staying with the puck Um, you know we've Brian and I will be uh, working on provisions for that so that they can see the entirety of what's going on in said arena uh, at that time to kind of let the viewers know, even though they may not be seeing it on the screen, but it gives them the sense that they're in command of everything that's kind of going on at that location.
1: Yeah, and- you would you would have similar a similar issue uh, with baseball because baseball, uh, the announcers are, oh, radio is obviously different than, than television, but they paint the picture of the man leading off and who's covering and how they're, you know, the, how they're, the, the, the outfielders or the infielders are playing. And you don't always see that on the play-by-play camera. How, how are your guys going to handle that?
0: Your NBC Sports Philadelphia podcasts are now on the My Teams app. Listen to Eagle Eye, Sixers talk, Phillies talk, and Flyers talk now. It's funny you say that. I was just talking to Tom McCarthy about a half hour before I joined you guys, and we were discussing that. Um, Part of what baseball is doing, for those that don't know, we will be doing the games in our home ballpark uh, for home games. But when the team travels, we would normally travel like you guys would, but we will not travel. So we will be in the same situation like Sixers and Flyers for road games. Um, It is – like you said, the biggest challenge right now is that picture because baseball, there's a lot of downtime in between pitches. There's a lot of downtime in between outs. And what they're providing is what we're calling an all-nine camera, which is a wide shot of the field, wide enough that you can see the field, but not too wide that you can't see what's happening on the field. And that will allow, when we're on the road, for Tom McCarthy, John Crock, Ben Davis to – see the field. So if the bat the pitcher is about the pitch and the runner on first base breaks to try and steal second, Tom can see that on the all-nine monitor, which he might not see on what you're watching at home or what we would normally show because we might be using a center field camera showing the pitch, which would happen normally, but Tom when he's at the ballpark in his peripheral vision can see the guy running. So that will be a challenge cuz not only will he be watching the game on one monitor he's going to need to have kind of a glance at the all nine monitor and the ball could be going into the gap and he's trying to see if the runners are going to go if they're going to stop so yeah that that will be a challenge more for him than us because we're going to be following the play as we normally would but it will be it will definitely be a challenge in that and you mentioned Brian uh, one of the major main differences it will happen when we all go back. There'll be no fans. There'll be a lot less energy. <laughs> Maybe not in the production truck, but there will <laughs> but there will be in the in the stands. But JR, take take that and now put Joel Embiid at the line with one second left in the game. The scores tie. There's no crowd other than the artificial noise. How do you think the players are gonna handle the lack of energy and lack of fans, because I've been asked that a million times. And honestly, I don't know the answer. When I was asked the first time, I thought to myself, I don't know. Maybe they'll they'll appreciate it more. They might be able to focus more without all the distractions and getting caught up and overhyped. I mean, you know, postseason for you two, I mean, guys are pretty hyped up. It's do or die at that time. Their season ends or they advance. What do you think the uh, energy on the court, on the ice there w- will be affected by lack of crowd?
2: Um, in all honesty, I don't think the players know that yet, Jeff. I, I think this is something new. This, is, uh, this has not occurred before in this kind of setup. So I think it's, it's difficult to predict, I think, for how those players are going to react. Now, you mentioned Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid is very much one, particularly in Philadelphia plays very well off of the fans and uh, they love him. He loves them. And uh, there's a, there's a camaraderie that goes on between them. Um, Joel will more than likely have to reference the, the players on the, on the players bench. And Norvell Pell has pretty much said, I'm going to be the crowd noise or whatever. So it, though, you're going to start <laughs> hearing a lot of, a lot of chirping from, from the bench, uh, the the trying to, you know, rally around their players or whatever. It's um, It's unique. We don't know how how they're going to respond because I I don't think they've ever played in that scenario before. Some players are very uh, uh, business like in their approach. I'll say Ben Simmons, very business like in his approach. In in my estimation, he's very focused. Uh, this is I've got a job to do. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to best help my team, whether the crowd's home or away. He's very focused on on the task at hand and. I don't know if it will affect, let's say a player like Ben. I could be wrong, but um, I don't think it will. Uh, other players it might, but it's real difficult to, to anticipate. To Brian's point earlier about the, uh, the effects audio, um, the NBA is working with the local broadcasters and the national broadcasters as well to try to find a way to, again, as Brian referenced it, protect the players Uh, In some cases, protect them from themselves. You know, know, often is the case where a player will go in for an and one layup and you'll hear the slap and you'll hear the uh, and one, you know, which obviously you don't want to to get to the viewers at home, you know, for for profanity reasons. Um, How do you best monitor that? I will tell you that there are technicians that are going to be on site that are going to be monitoring that live, uh, as well as our technicians in Philadelphia when we get those feeds sent to us. Um, will there, uh, be, uh, de- delays, uh, more than likely? Yes. They'll have, you know, to, to, really kind of protect everyone. We, we need to be concerned about that at all times, uh, in all of our telecasts at all times, sometimes stuff happens. We all, we all understand that. And we try our best to, 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 to limit that and to, uh, apologize when, when appropriate and, uh, using the appropriate form to do that. But uh, it a long-winded answer to your question, Jeff. I'm sorry. But it's, it's just it's, – it, it's, we've never run into it before, so I don't really know how to put my finger
1: on on a, on a specific answer for that. I think, JR, though, I, I, I always – I get the sense and, – and, and often in, like, some of the outdoor games where they've got a bunch of the players mic'd up, and, and you have the absolute characters – who are going to be absolute characters whether there's 70,000 or 20,000 or 20 people in that building and i think uh, my guess is nba players it's going to be like out in the schoolyard or in the gymnasium and it, it may be more colorful but they they may also step it up and kind of clean it up and, and and it may be more entertaining than we could ever ever hope for to hear you know because boy that's some of the best if it's if it doesn't need to be filtered that to me is the best part of sport
0: I agree with you Brian and and I was that's what I was just going to ask you Brian because I think you know we were watching the Phillies practice the other day and Harper hits a home run and he comes around and they kind of fake a high five and I think they're good they, they work on handshakes in the dugout. Okay, well, they can't do handshakes. They're going to come up with something. There, there's going to be a personality. I mean, you guys got to expect that Got on the ice, you know, someone scores a goal and there's no one in the stands going nuts. They're going to do something. I mean, do you agree? Absolutely. I can't – I honestly – I can't wait to
1: see and hear Kevin Hayes because he is the ultimate trash talker and, and, and has – for the most part, as best we can tell, you know, he, he can keep it relatively clean. There are other guys that that are more challenged in keeping it clean, but they're, you know, incredibly entertaining nonetheless. So uh, I look forward to that.
0: Both of those types then.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly.
0: Um, before we get to a couple best moments, uh, tell me what you guys are excited about. I mean, obviously, it's been a long time since any of us have been at an arena or at a ballpark. JR, what, what are you most excited about getting back into the truck and getting ready for a game right before tip-off? What, what are you looking forward to the most?
2: Oh, we've Collectively, we've all been doing this for, for quite some time, and I will still say that before we go live, that 30-second countdown before we go live to air, where you've got but one chance to to do, uh, you know, chronicle the event, as I referenced earlier, uh, that part I'm very much looking forward to, that feeling in my stomach about trying to like, wow, we need to kind of – and particularly with – this is going to be something new for all of us in our uh, – with the games that we're going to be producing – we don't know how reliable these feeds are going to be. Some may fail during the game. All of this is going on in our minds while the clock is ticking down towards seven o'clock or seven thirty or whenever that game time may be. That's going to be a big thing for me to be able to see NBA basketball. I'm a real I'm a fan of all sports. I I got into this business principally because I was a huge Flyers fan uh, in my youth, and and I wanted to work on Flyers games when I got in. Uh, to a a profession. And I, I was fortunately able to do that. I now I'm I'm working on principally on the basketball side, but I've always been a big basketball fan. And watching NBA basketball. There's nothing like it to me. And these are the, I will, I want to be careful how I phrase this. These are the best athletes in the world running up and down the floor. Every sport can say that. And I understand why, but I'll, I'll stick, I'll stick to my guns on the NBA side. They're just extraordinary athletes. They do amazing things. And they're just supremely skilled, and I can't wait for them to play.
0: And, Brian, same, same for you. Uh, wh- what are you looking forward to the most? I mean, again, it's been a long time since you've been with anybody that you've worked with in person. Uh, wh- wh- what's the most exciting thing that will happen when you arrive back at, uh, at the studios to do these games?
1: Well, first and foremost, from the television side, uh, it's just getting back together with our team. With, with the people that we, you know, Mike Mulligan, our director, Beth Ely, our graphics producer, those people who the three of us travel every game, home, road. So to get that team back together and and all of our technicians that we work with, you know, for all of the home games, now all of our games, whether the Flyers are, you know, home or road team, uh, and, and just knowing that, this is something completely unique, totally different, and, and we've, we're gonna put a show on. Um, that's the first part. The second part is I am really, really looking forward to seeing what this Flyer team, w- what it can be. Uh, they won nine of their last 10 games heading into the break, and they have such an incredible mixture of young and old, uh, you know, just an incredibly young, uh, dynamic goaltender. They've got more experience behind the bench. And I think that may be a huge factor when, when you're getting into the unknown, the fact that you have three former head coaches that have enormous like I think we did a graphic on this at the beginning of the season, at the beginning of the season, the three guys behind the flyer bench had been head coaches over 700 more games than the next closest behind the bench. So that in in these unchartered waters, I think that's, you know, that's going to mean something. And And that's what I'm really excited. I'm really excited. You know, guys that, that, we're, we didn't know we we're going to be there, are going to be there, and a great mixture of character and skill.
0: Well, you both, you both have covered everything I could mention about going back. Uh, again, being there with the people that we call our team and that, we haven't, that I haven't seen since last October to work with because spring training is in Florida and not with our local guys but getting back with them in the truck and working with them is something I'm really looking forward to.
1: Flyers Talk is brought to you by Wells Fargo. When our communities need us, Wells Fargo is here to help.
0: One last question before we go, guys. Uh, The longest games that we've ever been involved with. Uh, For me, it's easy. We had a 19 inning game on May 25th in 2011. The Phillies win on a uh, walk-off 5-4 at Citizens Bank Park. Six hours, 11 minutes, finished at one nineteen a.m. That's because we, we don't have a clock, guys, like you guys. <laughs> we just keep going until somebody decides that it. it's time to go home. Wilson Valdez, you may remember, position player, pitched a scoreless 19th inning. I'm looking back at the game today. First player to start in the field, enter as a pitcher later in the game, and earn the win since Babe Ruth in 1921. When you're mentioning a note with Babe Ruth, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty good. That's pretty awesome, Jr. Longest game any sport you've worked, whatever you got.
2: Well, Jeff, I actually think you were saddled beside me that day. I'll go back to uh, June of two thousand three, uh, a seventeen inning uh, broadcast uh, in Baltimore. Um, I remember uh, the Phillies win four to two. It was one to one until we get to the seventeenth inning. Um, it's, there's some challenges, game, uh, you know, sitting in a chair that long. I believe it was five hours, 41 minutes, if memory serves. The Phillies score three in the top of the 17th, and Baltimore was only able to come up with one. Hooray, the Phillies win. Uh, I recall as uh, you, myself, and our, our then-producer, John Slovak, were we're walking back to the, uh, the hotel, uh, I remember my wife happened, <laughs> happened to be joining me. She drove down with uh, our newborn, um and we're staying at the team hotel they were kind enough to join us on the road and i remember coming into the hotel room and uh my wife uh turned to me you know she's kind of all groggy it's i forget whatever time it was in the morning jeff but she says oh did you guys go out to grab a bite to eat afterwards and my my comment was no honey we just got done just a a (laughs) short bit ago so um no 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 uh no post-game soda pop for me and and thank you, good night, you know, one of those kind of things. That was the longest game for me.
0: Jared, I can't believe you sat next to me that long. No, I, can't get, I can't get people to do that usually.
2: Well, it's only because the Phillies won, Jeff. That's
0: that's that's true. Well, Brian, I <laughs> saved you to the end for a reason. Because this is where we this is a big segue right here. Sports Uncovered, the NBC Sports uh, series of podcast, uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia. Did a special presentation, Marathon on Ice, for the Flyers' five-overtime win versus the Penguins on May 4th of 2000. NBC Sports Philadelphia production included interviews with Keith Jones, Brian Boucher, Keith Primo, Rick Tocchet, Mark Recky, Chris and so many others, including Mike Tarico doing an introduction. It's fantastic. I've listened to it twice, once by myself and once with my kids. You should download it, listen to it on NBCSports.com or on the my Teams app. But Coop... There is no one that was closer to that game than you. Todd, ta- ta- did you think it was going to end?
1: No. No, I didn't. I mean, it, it was one of those uh, – I, I have been involved in playoff hockey. Um, I actually was in Washington in 87 for the Caps and the Islander game that went four overtimes. Uh, and I have been – you know, done other uh, flyer overtime games uh, – the, probably one of the most notable was JR, uh scoring the winning goal uh, against the Leafs up in uh, Toronto. But this game was, it, it just went on. I mean, you know, playoff hockey is always different. And, you know, normally we would be in a truck, we'd get in the truck at one o'clock in the afternoon. But because it's three and four ways, feeds and, and it's so much more complex and the igloo in pittsburgh is was the oldest building in the league and so i think we got into the truck at 10 a.m just to set up and and it was a you know a really you know long arduous setup so just think about that that we're in the truck at 10 a.m and i think we finally left the truck somewhere 3 30 in the morning after we had done, I couldn't believe it. After the game is over, it's 2.15, 2.30 in the morning. And I'm, I, I just couldn't believe it. I'm listening on the headset talking to Philadelphia, and they're like, oh, no, we're doing a post-game show. <laughs> or what? Are you kidding? And and you know, and I I don't know what the, I forget what the numbers were, but I guess we did a pretty good business, you know, good a good number at that time of the morning, because people were either you know just waking back up, thinking, oh, I'll just check and see, because they couldn't make. There's no way they made it through the whole. Uh, many of them through the whole game, and they've realized like I think he mentions like, wow. This thing is still going on. And it, it's a memory that I'll never, ever forget.
0: You have those great memories. I spent the night in Atlanta, traveling from Philadelphia to Atlanta after a day game, watched the game with my wife and Harry Callis in a bar while you were having that great moment. I was having a great moment because who I was watching it with. And Jr, your longest moment was spent with me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I've so got that find going. Find another one, here. Jared. Find one that was a little bit shorter, and tell that, because otherwise you end up with just me at the end and walking back to the hotel every time.
2: Oh, no, no. I, 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 uh, if there's if there are moments to be had, if we're if we're allowed to go there for about one time, and when I made the transition from directing to producing, and I still direct um, uh, when asked, um, but uh, or very early in my producing career for Sixers basketball we were challenged with uh, covering the last ever game at the Spectrum, uh, a location that for all of us holds some very fond memories. Maybe my single greatest sports memory could be J.J. Danio, Game 6, 1987, Stanley Cup Finals. The, I've never there. heard – I don't think I've ever been to – I've been to a lot of rock concerts. I don't think they were louder than that building was on that particular night That to Force a Game 7 in Edmonton. But um, my best – maybe my favorite moment was uh, – was producing the last ever game at the Spectrum, which for all of us holds a lot of memories, certainly, from a lot of the, the the hours and days and events that we've worked in that particular building. But it was nice to, to kind of coordinate with uh, not only the league, but also our sister station in Chicago. We happened to be playing the Bulls that night. And uh, uh, what turned out to be a very, very long day, but there was uh, a lot of uh, fanfare about uh, it being the last game at that Fable building, and to have a lot of Hall of Famers there uh, on hand to witness what was a, just a terrific game. The Sixers win at the end. Thaddeus Young had a, had a terrific night. There was a future MVP on the floor with uh, 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 Derek Rose uh, playing for the Bulls at that point. It was in his rookie season. Uh, that was just a favorite memory for me. Uh, I, we've all got a number of favorite memories, but that was certainly one that kind of sticks out for me, certainly as a producer.
0: And, Brian, I know that was the longest game, and we kind of forced you into that answer, but uh, is there any other games that, were, that stuck out to you as the best moments, most memorable?
1: Uh, well, a Stanley Cup game not, uh, that I was producing for, for ESPN way back in 1988 was literally the blackout game between the Bruins and the Oilers at the Boston Garden that just threw everybody in it. And it was the first time that I understand, I think ever, ever happened. But my most exciting game without a doubt is game seven flyers Bruins flyers are down three Oh in the series. They go to Boston. They they're now tied. It's in game seven. We're all excited and they're down three Oh in the game. And I mean, it was such a, bummer and then JBR scores a goal that he, he probably couldn't have broken a pane of glass with the shot and it just got the ball rolling and the puck was on their side the rest of the way and it was just for them to come back like that it was just an unbelievable memory
0: and, and JR I'm going to finish on a positive note I made it sound like we we were stuck together in a truck but we did have a wonderful moment together and we sat in the truck in Florida when Roy Halliday threw his perfect game. And when anybody does something for only the 20th time in a sport that's been played for over 130-plus years, it's a pretty special moment. And that, that moment to me was just because of the significance was amazing. And you directed that game sitting next to me. So we didn't just sit in the game in Baltimore and, and then walk back to the hotel. We, we, did, we did do some pretty exciting things together. And that would that was a moment together that I'll never forget. And as we are reminded every time we go to Miami these days by the crew that's there who did, again, a great job that night, we get reminded, hey, oh, man, can you believe it's been that long since we did that game? So the, <laughs> mem- the, mem- the memories don't stop, and they, they were good memories. But, uh, guys, uh, we unfortunately need to wrap, and I look forward to seeing you guys. In the near future, usually we don't work at the same time of the year, but we are going right. to the year for a good amount of time, Hope for you, hopefully for you guys, more than just a couple of days. Hopefully they uh, continue on and uh, advance deep into the playoffs. Thank you both very much. Uh, it's been a pleasure of mine talking to you guys. I love talking to you guys about everything. Sport. Likewise.
1: JR, this was great.
0: JR, thanks, buddy. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. And good luck with both of you and your restarts. Let's go Sixers. Let's go Phillies. Let's go Flyers. If you haven't at all, subscribe to all the podcasts here at NBC Sports Philadelphia. There's not just the producer's podcast, although maybe we'll get a second edition uh, coming soon. But there's That's Eagle's Eye, Flyers Talk, Phillies Talk, Sixers Talk. Leave a five-star comment and review for Brian Cooper. Flyers producer, J.R. Aguilla, Sixers producer. I'm Jeff Halligan for the Phillies. So long, everyone.